Welcome everyone to Foothills Christian Church. I just would like to do a special invite to all of you who are visiting for the first time. Maybe uh, it's the second or third time you've been here, and anybody who might be watching online the first time, or maybe you're invited to a watch party, or you're doing church at home, or in one of our micro churches. So we're excited that you are here, and just to let you know what kind of church we are. The idea of Foothills is one of our values is we believe fluff is not enough, and we want real answers to real-life issues and problems that are going on. And we're in a series right now called Jesus is King, and it focuses on the supremacy of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of all and above all. So that's the series we're in right now. If you go to the church's phone app, if you don't have it, you can go to Foothills Boise or go to your app store and search Foothills Boise and download it. Then you can take notes and a lot of quotes and other types of things that I talk about today will be on that app as well. You can do fill in the blank, read the verses and so forth. Now, I'd like to tell you a little bit of a story of this young lady right here, and her name is uh, Gina Florio, and i just kind of give you an idea of her life is that she grew up in a Christian home, and uh, her mom said to her, hey, I want you to know, honey, you can be anything you want to be, just anything that you want to be. You can be that in America. So she studied hard. She got straight A's, and she wanted to study uh, uh, about her faith, and so she was accepted to Harvard, and she went to Harvard Divinity School, and Divinity School is the college within the university that focuses on studying religion. So she went there, and something happened while she was there, and it was not good. In her own words, she says, the following. I think higher education kind of destroyed me. Little by little, it took away the layers that gave me grounding and meaning and gave me an entirely new lens through which to view the world, and it was not kindly. She then concludes by saying, I came out of Harvard an atheist who hated America. As a matter of fact, she hated it so much that she moved to Australia. She said, I can't even live in this country. It's so evil. So she moved, and while there, her life completely fell apart. Now, we're going to kind of pick her story up towards the end, but her story is a real story that I personally have witnessed in the lives of many people who go off to college and then something happens. And now what's happening in college is spilled over into everyday life. So today, our message is going to be just a little bit different than normal, but I want you to understand that it has everything to do with our focused biblical study about Jesus is King. Now, I asked you to uh, read through some passages, and here are the passages I like these up on the screen because it allows you to write them down. If you're on the phone app, they're all there as well. But during this whole series, we're studying John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 14, 
Colossians 15, I'm sorry, one, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, and then 1 John chapter 4. These passages of scriptures in the New Testament are called Christologies, meaning it is a study of the Messiah who came to us. Now, last week, we talked about uh, John chapter 1, the gospel according to John, about Jesus is king, and what we discussed is that Christmas is not just a celebration of the birth of the person Jesus Christ, but Christmas is the celebration of what is known as the incarnation. And what that means is that God emptied himself and became a human being, and then he gave himself on the cross, and then when he was rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and then he came back into oneness with God. And to understand how that works, you need to understand the Trinity. So if you have struggle with the Trinity, then just kind of go back and check that out real quick, and it'll kind of help you understand it. But Christmas is a celebration of God with us. It's Emmanuel, which is the word meaning, a name meaning God with us. So that's what we talked about last week, and it's all about the principle of the Trinity. So what I'd like to do today is kind of jump into Colossians real quick and kind of give you a little study of this passage of Scripture, and then we're going to see what it means when it says that Jesus is King. All right, so let's start with uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And if you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay, because I think it'll flash up on the screen while I'm reading. Now, the Son is the invisible image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So the image of the invisible God is what we talked about last week and how that works, okay? Verse 16, for in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, he references here, you see thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities. So he's referencing every form of human government. And he's saying that Jesus is above all of that. He is above all things and in all things and all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So this is why the resurrection of Jesus is such a powerful event, because it proved the supremacy of Jesus over everything, including death. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood that was shed on the cross. Now, I want to recap a couple principles in here that I just read, and that is, the first one is that Jesus is God. He is the invisible uh, the image of the invisible God, okay? So we can't see God, but because we've seen Jesus, we have seen God. This is what he told Thomas, his apostle. Jesus has a supremacy over all things, including all forms of human government, all right? He supersedes those 
things. He is head of the church, and he has a mission. And his primary mission is to reconcile all things to himself and through himself, which I think is just a really fascinating concept because Jesus, as God, came to save us, and saving us meant reconciling or saving us back to himself. Now, it'd be really easy to kind of geek out on all this theology right now. You know what I'm saying? We could talk and use terminology that people have no idea. And I thought to myself, would it be fun to geek out? No. I'm not here to bore people to death. But what I would like to do is get really practical. And really like practical for somebody who might be a senior in high school who's ready to graduate this next spring and then go on to college. Or maybe somebody who's in college right now. Or maybe you just got out of college and you're trying to find your way. You might be asking yourself, if you're listening to this, later date, online, or anytime, why in the world does all this matter to me? I mean, why in the world should I care? Well, First and foremost, I would say because ideas matter. And you're like, yeah, blah, 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 you know? Well, let me share something with you. And this is really important to understand. And that is so much of what you want in life is dependent upon the ideas from which those things come from. Let me illustrate it for you this way, okay? I have a tree. This is a little, this is a little tree. It's a little corn plant tree, you know. He's kind of nice and he's growing. Uh, got that from Home Depot on sale, by the way. You know, we're frugal here. And so anyway, what, what I'm going to do is, is I want to talk about things in your life. Let's say that you're, you're young, that, that you care about, okay? Now, let's talk about the idea of your career, okay? And this is the idea right now is, is like you're, you're at, if you're a senior in high school, Thanksgiving just happened, right? How many of your relatives asked you this question? So, what are you planning to do with your life? Where are you going to school, right? I mean, you got asked that question over and over. And so you're kind of thinking to yourself, I mean, your guidance counselor, your teachers, you know, your relatives, your parents, everybody's asking you, what are you going to do with your life? And so you're kind of thinking, well, I don't know, maybe I'd like to uh, become an engineer and build stuff, you know. You know what I want to do is I want to write Asian rap music. Or maybe what you'd like to do is be an artist and sculpt stuff in Italy. Or maybe what you want to do is you want to be an Instagram influencer, you know, where you go to Bali and take selfies, you know, hashtag Bali, living the dream, you know, and people paid. Maybe that. Maybe what you want to do is you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or a nurse or a, a radiologist. Or maybe what you want to be is you want to run a construction company because you want to build stuff. Some people are like, I want a company that provides a service to people that just really makes a difference in their life. Maybe you want to be a race car driver. I don't know, but you're thinking about all of these things, right? You're thinking about, I want to do something that I'm passionate about, right? Something that I love to get up and do. The last thing I want is a job that sucks the life out of me. Where does that idea come from? Where does the idea that you get to think about what you want to do with your life come from? Have you ever thought of that? Where do you get the notion that you have the freedom 
to think about and pick your own career. You know, that only comes from this tree and this tree alone. And this tree is called the tree of liberty. You see, if, if you are born and raised in China, you don't get up and go, hey, what am I going to do that I'm passionate about? I want to what you do is what your parents tell you you're going to do. That's what you do. If you grew up in an Islamic country, it's all decided and ordered before you're even born based on who your parents are and who your dad married and what families he's associated with. The notion that you get to choose comes only from Western civilizations and particularly what is commonly known as the trunk of liberty. Because in the trunk of liberty is this idea that you are a sovereign individual, that you have the freedom to choose who and what you want to do and be. Okay? Let's talk about not just that. Let's talk about this. This is a favorite topic of everybody, right? Let's talk about love. Let's talk about falling in love, right? You know, you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'm just getting out of college, you know. Wouldn't it be awesome if I just, man, I want to I, I fall in love, you know. I want to, you know, you might be just thinking, man, I hope, you know, I'm going to get a job at this firm and I just, I can't wait to meet somebody, you know. And, you know, what is it about what is it about love? You know, the sun is brighter and the flowers smell better. You listen to country music more. You know, what is it about love? You know, it's just awesome, right? When you fall in love and you're thinking to yourself, wow, wouldn't it be great if I fell in love? But you know what? Where does the idea that you can fall in love and find your soulmate and have a great romantic life adventure together come from? Have you ever thought of that? Where does the idea that you get to do that come from? I can tell you right now, it didn't come from the ancient Greeks because the ancient Greeks didn't view uh, uh, love that way at all. They only viewed it as eros, sexual love. It was a sexual thing. And as a matter of fact, uh, Plato and Socrates wrote about it as a curse. It's a bad thing that happened to men. Aristotle had an extremely dim view of women. He said they're, they're a subspecies and never do, you, know, you don't want really a lot to do with them. And don't fall under their, their spell. That'll ruin your life. It doesn't come from the Romans. The Romans had the most patriarchal, hierarchical society. Women weren't allowed to own property. And it was all based on the paterfamilias, right? And so women were secondary citizens, and the whole notion of the paterfamilias was that the father or, or the head of the clan ruled everybody else, and he could even tell who had sex with who. He could marry his daughter off, and if he didn't like the guy, he could divorce his daughter and marry her to somebody else. So the whole notion of falling in love and finding your soulmate didn't exist with the Romans. It doesn't exist with the Chinese either. The Chinese are like, you're going to marry who we tell you to. It doesn't exist in Islam this notion of soulmates coming together. It doesn't exist in Hinduism. You know, Hinduism, a lot of people are not aware of, is basically this theory, and that is, is you're stuck in this cycle of uh, reincarnation and rebirth, right? And then eventually you get to the point, if you, get, 
if, you, if you're a good person or you're devoted to one of the lesser gods over time, it's called the path of devotion, what happens is your karma can get better and better, and eventually you'll be freed where you lose your personal identity and you're absorbed in this inter non-personal entity called uh, the gods, you know, and that's called nirvana. You finally reach that. But here's, you know what they tell you is that if your karma's bad, right, what happens is you get re- reincarnated down the list. And if you're a man and your karma's bad, guess what you get reincarnated as? A woman. Yeah, people are like, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's true. What's interesting about that is, so the notion that you can fall in love and find your soulmate all has to do and revolve around this idea, this concept that uh, you have males and females who are equal. They're equally created in the image of God, and they equally have the capacity to choose love and to Love. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to do a good job of it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the whole idea. Where does it come from? You know where it comes from? It comes from the tree of liberty. And that concept actually just doesn't come from the notion that you have the freedom to choose, but it actually comes from the soil. This tree of liberty grows out of one soil and one soil only alone. And you know what that soil is? The kingdom of Jesus. Now, you're not taught this in school anymore. You're not taught this in our society, you know. You're taught something opposite of that, and I'll talk about this in a moment. But let's just say you uh, uh, get out of college and you find a a nice career, and then you decide, wow, I'm falling in love and everything. You know what? I just want to raise my kids with my values, you know, my grandparents and my parents. and We're teaching our kids values like hard work and responsibility and discipline, that they're valuable, they can be courageous and confident. This is what we want to teach our kids, right? I just want a family that is healthy and strong and can do that. So that's what I really want as I look towards the future of my life. Well, where does the idea that you get to teach your kids values come from? Because if you live in a communist country, guess who decides the values that your kids have? The state does because you don't own your kids or are responsible for them. The state owns your children. You see, these ideas only come from the tree of liberty. Maybe you're just thinking, okay, pastor, you're just way too deep for me right now. I'm 19. I'm just wondering if I can get into JUCO or not. Um, What are you thinking? I go, okay, let me ask you this question. You just want to enjoy your life, right? I mean, you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I'd like to get into the JUCO in Montana so that I can go hunting and fishing constantly, you know, and the fact that we're under lockdown so I don't have to go to class, ba-bam, I'm going to be on the ski slopes every day, you know, I'm riding the chair up and I'll log into my class. Yes, professor, I'm present, you know, that's what you're thinking, I want to do that. Or maybe what you're thinking is, no, you know, man, I'm so excited about this business and I want to be successful and I want to start this business and pour myself into it and see what can happen. Or maybe you're thinking to yourself, no, I want to be that travel Instagrammer that goes around and sees the world and shows people all this stuff and talks about it. No, you know what I would rather do is, is 
I want to write music and pass that out. You know what I want to do is I want to counsel with people because I just want to help people do better. It doesn't matter. You're just thinking, I I want to travel. I want to be a ski bum. I want to make stuff. I want to to build things. I want to go hunting. I want to go fishing. I want to see movies. What difference does it make? You just want to enjoy your life. That's what you want. Have you ever thought where in the world your ability to do that comes from? Why do you believe you have the right to enjoy your life? Why do you even think that you have the potential to enjoy life? You know where that comes from? The capacity to enjoy life and pursue these things only happens in affluent cultures, right? And the other place, the freedom to do so only comes when you are a part of the tree of liberty. Let's hang this up here. Kapush. Now, this is why it matters to you. These ideas up here, your desire to do these things, only come from the tree of liberty. And guess what? The tree of liberty is growing in the soil of an objective truth. And that objective truth is called the kingdom of of Jesus. This is why we say Jesus is king. See, there's something in that soil. There's something in there in these principles and concepts that come from the scripture that teach us basic definition of what it means to be a human being, that we're created in the image of God, that we're sovereign individuals, that we have the freedom to choose. We come to God on our own terms. God doesn't coerce us or manipulate us or force us. It's called the doctrine of non-coercion. So we willingly walk into a loving relationship with God, and those foundational principles are the soil of the King of Jesus. And it's out of that soil that the tree of liberty is grown, and all this cool stuff that you want to enjoy has come out of your life. And what's happening today is our society is attempting to take this tree out of that soil and plant it in an empty pot. That's what's going on. And when that happens, that dies. And that dies. Because when you take that tree, it's a living thing, and you plant it in nothing, ultimately it will die. And that idea, my friends, if you're 19 years old and you want to go to college or you want to go start a construction company or you just want to get a a snow machine or be a ski bum in a modified van, that matters. That matters. And it's an idea that I want you as a young person to wake up to and realize it's time to swallow the red pill, young person. Because this is trying to be stolen from you. And if you try to put this tree in a pot with no soil in it, you know what you will end up with? A dead culture. Death of liberty, death of your family, death of the enjoyment of your life, death of love, death of everything you hold dear and cherish. Because ideas matter. Ideas matter. You see, when you untether ideas from the soil in which they grow, okay, you are untethering yourself from an objective truth. And when you untether your ideas from any objective truth, Jesus is king, guess what? You become 
a solopsist. Does anybody have any idea what a solopsist is? Good, because that's why I chose that word. You see, if I just chose a word that everybody knew, people would go, oh, yeah, I agree, you know, move on, Pastor. But I want this to really kind of just soak into your soul for a second. Solipsism is a philosophical construct. It's taught in philosophy courses. And basically, it has to do with metaphysics. And metaphysics is the notion of how do you know what true is true, right? How do you know something is true? And what a solipsism teaches is that the only way metaphysically that you can know anything is true, you can only verify it, is yourself. You see, you can verify your touch, you can verify your brain, but you can't verify any other thing, the reality in which you live, animals, trees, plants, or even other human beings. So consequently, you know what the outcome of solipsism is? You are the center of the universe. Your truth is the only truth that matters. Here's another way of saying it. All narcissists are solipsists. All narcissists are solipsists. So, everything hanging on this tree and the tree itself comes from the soil of objective truth. And that objective truth is this. Jesus is king. How do I know this is true? Well, first of all, philosophically, you know it's true. And this is one of the axioms that teach you or show you that, uh, that God exists outside of a religious argument. It's a pure logic or philosophical argument. It's a non-religious argument that God exists. And here it is. If there is no God, there are no objective morals and duties. So if there is no God, there's no objective right or wrong. If there is no God, there is no objective thing that is always wrong. So if some people want to eat their neighbors as opposed to loving their neighbors, that ultimately, I guess, objectively, you could reason that to be okay. In some cases, it's okay to sexually molest a four-year-old girl. In some cases, it's okay to sell children into human sex trafficking or to rape women. You know, well, actually, you know, they would say, well, what is rape? How do you even know it's rape? You see, that's what happens when you remove your objective standard, is there are no objective duties and morals. But guess what? Everybody lives as if there are objective morals and duties. There's always something that is wrong to every human being. If you really want to dig into that, just listen to the Thursday episode of The Salty Pastor, because I really dig into that. But the bottom line is, is this is today, you know who believes that statement and abides by that statement? If there is no God, there's no objective duties or morals? Everybody, especially atheists. Atheists say, yeah, I agree with that 100%. And so the whole counter for atheists are trying to develop what is known as a subjective moral code, right? The person who advocates this the most writes about it all the time. Do you know the uh, ma magician's uh, pen and teller? Well, Gillette Penn writes about this all the time. He talks about how you can be a, a moral atheist, but what he is unable to do is rationally anchor it into any objective standard. And he has a really effective approach. He gets you laughing, you know, and you laugh about a bunch of stuff so that you don't realize the, uh, the uh, lack of any rational foundation on which he builds his conclusions. 
But you know the second way you know it's true is all you have to do is open your eyes and look around you. And this is what's why our, our educational system is in such danger today, and it's a concern for me. And the reason why is because this stuff is not taught or e- it's, it's all suppressed and hidden today. And it's amazing to me that you have to go to church to hear it. But though that may be the case, let me share it with you as quickly as possible. The first thing that you can see all around you, why this soil is objective and true and so effective, is because the kingdom of God today is growing more rapidly than it has ever grown before. In verse 20 of Colossians chapter 1, it says, Jesus is trying to reconcile all things to himself through himself. And so he is going to reconcile people and his message is going to transcend every opportunity to try to suppress it. It's going to continue to grow. Today, Christianity is the largest belief system, faith system, religion in the world, getting close to 3 billion people in its three major forms, Protestantism, Roman Catholicism, and Eastern Orthodoxy. And those three across the globe, it's growing rapidly. Today, uh, in Africa, it's growing so fast. 50 years ago, less than 5% of the African continent was Uh, Christian or identified as followers of Christ. Today, that's approaching 57% in just 50 years. The growth is unbelievable. In China, even though China today is oppressing and persecuting Christians like never before, it's estimated somewhere between 12 and 18% of the population of China is Christian. And that's interesting because they officially state that it's about 8%. But the underground church, nobody has any idea how big it really is, and it's estimated between 12 and 15%. So let's just say it's 15%. That means 85% of China is Buddhist, participants in ancestral worship, and they're communists. Uh, and the thing is, I want you to understand, I love the, the Chinese people. They are unbelievable. Their culture just intrigues me beyond belief. But the governing authorities of China are communists. They are hardcore communists, and they are persecuting, killing Christians today like never before. And so they're evil. They are pure evil. And what's happening right now is that with 15% of the population as Christians, you know what that means? There are more Christians living in China because there's 1.2 billion people in China than there are practicing Christians living in America today. Let that sink in on you. The church of God, the kingdom of God is going to grow no matter what. Now, the second one is this, is not only is it growing rapidly, it's really important to understand, you look around you and you can see in the data that the kingdom of Jesus Christ has reduced poverty wherever it goes. Christianity always appeals to the poor, but what's really interesting is that wherever Christianity takes root and influences the culture, particularly Protestant Christianity, poverty rates drop dramatically. It's really interesting. Listen to this. 70%, just under 70%, so well over two-thirds of everybody who lives in abject poverty, they live under the poverty line in the world today, live in five countries. Just five countries. The vast majority of those in poverty live. And you know what those five countries are? India, China, and Bangladesh, all Southeast Asia, and then Congo and Nigeria, both in sub-Saharan Africa. You know what those five countries have in common? They have official policies to persecute and eradicate Christianity. You know what their other 
uh, thing they have in common? They rank lowest in free market economies. A free market economy, the capacity to enjoy your life, comes out of the tree of liberty. And guess where the tree of liberty grew out of? The soil of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Number three, the kingdom of Jesus. When you look around today, you can see how it always values and increases education. I want to just show you a map real quick to give you an idea of how this works. This is a map uh, today, and this is a map of uh, literacy rates. In other words, how literate is a society? You just pull this off the internet. It's just a basic Google search. This will pop up, and you can see it. Now, it's kind of hard to see on this a little bit uh, when, I, when I brought it over, but for purposes you'll understand, is that these, these light colors here, you can't really see, but they're lightly shaded. They're here, okay? And then you have kind of a light pink and a light pink here. And then you have, it's really white here, very, very light in here. And then this is kind of pink. This is Russia and China. China doesn't count because China lies. They lie about everything their government does, so... You know, none of their data has, that's just a fact. Everybody knows it. It's not a secret. They lie about everything. Um, and so then over here, as it starts to get more, less pink and more red, and then eventually it turns black, shows you literacy rates drop. So the lightest color is 95% and above. You, what you'll notice about this immediately, and I'll explain it to you, is the lightest places with the highest literacy rates are all influenced by Protestant Christianity. The second highest have all been influenced by either Eastern Orthodox in Russia or South America, Roman Catholicism. Then once you get out of the places, you get into the Islamic countries, you get into the Hindu countries, you get into the Sub-Saharan African countries, and guess what? Literacy rates plummet. Wherever the kingdom of Jesus Christ goes, the soil has as a part of its nutrients a commitment and a passion to education. And then finally, the kingdom of Jesus Christ spreads justice and equality like no other philosophy, belief system, or religion that has ever existed in humanity. Let me show you this map real quick, okay? This is same type of map pulled off the wiki, and what it does is it shows you, it, it's kind of doing some weird things, but if you'll notice over here, these countries over here, Scandinavia, Eastern Europe, Canada and America are all one color. Why is that? Because they rank highest on justice and equality for all more than any other countries out there. What do all East, uh, Western Europe, Scandinavia, Canada, and America all have in common? Protestant, Christian, influenced nations. Every single one of them. Then you get into kind of these, these lighter greens and shades of green. Let me explain to you what those are. These are the second highest ranked nations in justice and equality. Then you get to the whites. You know, look at Greenland. It is not very just. Of course, nobody lives in Greenland, so I don't think it really matters. But look, look at where you have. You have these... You have these uh, uh, some of these Islamic countries, Indonesian countries, uh, the Middle East, and Sub-Saharan Africa rank on the Justice and Equality Index at the bottom. Now, why would I share these facts with you? I'm sharing these facts with you. It's a little different, you know, but it's important for you to understand the rational, the reasonable, and the factual basis on which your faith that Jesus is King is, it exists. It, it's not irrational faith. It's faith, but faith has as a part of it this huge, factual, rational, reasonable basis to it. That's what makes faith so strong. And 
one of the things I think you need to understand is that you can see this. This isn't taught. It's not communicated uh, because what they're trying to do is they want to have the tree of liberty planted in a pot without any of the soil, any objective truth. And that objective truth always comes from the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that's why today's message is a little different because ideas matter and truth really, really matters if you want this stuff in your life. Now, I want to go back to Gina, and I want to tell you a little bit more about her and her story, okay? Gina was out in her backyard in Australia, and something happened. And she tried to light one of those little propane grills, and it exploded, and it burned her really bad. So they sent her to the hospital. And while she was there, they basically said, look, you are here on an expired work visa, so we can't treat you. You have to go back to America. So she calls her mom, and her mom says, I'm so relieved you're okay and that you're finally coming home. On that journey home, she looked at, herself, at her life, and she started to evaluate her life, and she says this, since I had abandoned everything that gave my life meaning, I was so empty. I was searching in my soul. I was so thirsty. I was partying, doing drugs, and in this accident, I was so despondent. But when I got back into America and they were treating me, I got a part-time job trying to write for an online magazine because I had a Harvard degree, and I was supposed to write a lot about how bad America was and how Christianity was the evil of all the worlds. And she said, so what I did is I pulled up a video on the YouTube to watch a little bit of the opposing view so I could shred it. And she said, something happened to me when I saw that video. She says, it suddenly dawned on me that I had been lied to. She said, so I started watching every little video I could on YouTube. I started reading about the other perspectives. And she said, what I finally realized is that God loves me. She found her faith, and she said, America is the greatest country you could ever live in because it gives you the greatest opportunity, and it's come out of the soil of these powerful objective truths that come from the Scripture. See, this is why I'm so excited about our Christ's birthday offering because just think, if we as a group of people tried to be a counter voice to all of these terrible things that our children are being indoctrinated with in school systems and universities in particular. If there was just an alternative, articulate, engaging thing. What if somebody could actually see, hey, this is a tree and this is how it works and stuff. People go, oh, that makes total sense to me. That's what the kingdom of God was meant to do. You see, I understand why churches, and we're the same way. We don't get into politics. We don't tell who you to vote for. We don't do voting guides. We don't do all that kind of stuff. We, we're not into all that because politics is really a lesser thing because it doesn't matter what your political position is. If this doesn't exist, nothing will grow in it. Amen. Nothing will grow. So, so this is probably the most important thing. How do we turn the tide and create a place for our children to grow up and experience this? is we get serious about that. 
Because it doesn't matter how much you see the kingdom of God growing out there, how much you see its impact and power in Africa or South America or even here in America. It doesn't matter if you see it out there if it's not growing in here. Because you know what that soil is? It's not an abstract, immaterial thing. The soil where the kingdom of Jesus grows is a human heart. That's where it grows. That's where his kingdom lives. That's where the seed of the gospel is planted and grows to fruition. It's when your life is impacted by Jesus Christ like never before. You have a, you have a personal interaction with God the creator and you understand who he is and what he's done in your life. His desire to redeem and save and reconcile you back unto him. When you experience that, then you realize this is where my spiritual liberty and my spiritual freedom comes from. This is when you realize how I enjoy life well, how I love well, how I pursue a career that's meaningful and full, how my family is rich and deep and stays on the right track. It comes from the freedom to live an abundant life, and that comes out of a soil of a heart that has been transformed by the very truth of God. That's for you. That is not my promise. That's his promise for you. Let's see what Dana has to tell us about anybody listening online or here. How do you take one step closer to God? A core value of our church is that we are not just hearers of the word, but we are doers of the word. This means that we encourage each and every one of us to take one step closer to Jesus whenever we hear the preaching of the gospel. Here are some steps that you might take. Maybe it's time for you to begin your journey with Jesus so you can download the booklet, How to Connect to Jesus. Baptism is one of the most important things you can do spiritually. Maybe it's time for you to be baptized into Christ. Simply text FHBAPTISM to 97000 and we will help you take that step. As I said earlier, I have a passion for connecting people into smaller groups. I believe that we grow best in circles, not rows. If you are on campus or doing church at home, here's how you can connect to a small group. Simply go to the page foothills.org groups. If you're doing church at home or partnering in a microchurch, use the discussion questions on the screen to go deeper. Everyone on campus, please stand for closing prayer.